0: Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren Christ Church podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The Hpic podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the Hpic family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at Hpic are pursuing discipleship, in other words, how they are learning to follow Jesus's example and obey His teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week, I talked with Bob Aronson. Uh, he's a professor of public health at Etown College, and. Uh, Yeah, you might be wondering, what is public health? I was too, kind of. Um, Got a really good answer. I learned so much in this conversation about what it is, why we as Christians specifically should care about it and and fight for it, some of the things that culturally kind of stand in the way of us doing that. Um, Really good. If you're also wondering, what in the world is public health? Um, Yeah, you're going to really enjoy this one. Thanks. Bob Aronson, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been so long since we...
0: (laughs) It wasn't five seconds ago that we (laughs) finished talking with you and Jen. Um, So, Bob, you are a professor at Elizabethtown College, and your subject is public health.
1: Correct. And I encounter many people who think they know what public health is, but may be a long way from really grasping it
0: now you have me worried that i am one of those people because okay. i definitely thought i knew what public health was but
1: yeah and, well. oh, go ahead
0: so what is public health then yeah okay I mean,
1: well coming off of uh, covid people may think public health is all about vaccines and masks and clearly that is what public health does but it is far more than that uh, usually when we think about health we tem- tend to think of the opposite of health, illness and death. Um, And we also have our lifelong experience dealing with healthcare providers. So usually when I talk about public health, I don't use the word care, I talk about, I'm a health professional. Not necessarily a healthcare professional because I don't really venture into the treatment aspect of things, and in general, public health is uh, much less involved in treating problems once they're there, and much more involved in preventing them from happening in the first place. And so, one of the consequences of that is people have no idea what public health is until something bad happens, um, and things don't generally just happen all of a sudden. Uh, Things may deteriorate. If you look at Jackson, Mississippi, another one of these kind of uh, forgotten capital cities, Uh, maybe a bit like Harrisburg, yes, (laughs) where uh, decades of neglect has led to the sudden collapse of their water system. Okay. Which is never
0: going to happen to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Everywhere I've lived, there were county health departments, and usually cities would have their own health department, and there is no health department in Dauphin County or in the city of Harrisburg. There is a single health officer Mm -hmm. who's responsible for just making sure that restaurants get inspected. Um, And public health is far more than that and i like to illustrate this when i tell i tell a story to my students so back when we were at uni- at uh, greensboro i worked at university of north carolina greensboro and we lived in a town in a little neighborhood called hamilton lakes and as you might guess there were little lakes in this town and i would always have all my fishing tackle in the back of my car so that if i had the urge i could fish whenever i wanted to and i often found myself fishing on my way to work. And uh, in that context, I remember seeing a a fish floating on the surface and it had a big lesion on it, a big round lesion on it. The fish was dead and that's why it was floating. And you know, you think, whoa, what's wrong with that fish? What killed that fish? Um, And other times I'd come and, and I'd see other fish, more than one fish. Sometimes I'd see several. Imagine you come back and you see dozens and dozens of fish, the same lesion floating at the surface. You have to ask a different question. That's what's wrong with these fish, but what is wrong with this lake? Mm. And that kind of gives you an idea of what public health is about. Uh, The context in which people live, work, sleep, and play, those are the things that shape the health that they experience. Clearly, people have different predispositions Different genetic makeup; their biology is different. But the vast majority of the causes of human disease and suffering is not related to genetics or biology or even the the strength of your healthcare system. But it's related to the context of people's lives and their daily exposures. Social determinants of health have a great greater impact on populations and their health than uh, individual. Um, genetics and so public health distinguishes itself from much of healthcare because we're focused not on individuals but on populations why is this population doing well and this population is not and uh, that really gets at the heart of our questions you know what is wrong and how are we producing inequities in health yeah why is it that some are doing so well and some are doing poorly?
0: Yeah. How could it be, uh, you know, in the midst of a global pandemic, how could it be that, you know, black Americans are, have such a higher rate of mortality, you know, in in from COVID, for example, how could that be that citizens in the same country living alongside one another, like some could be that much more susceptible, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we dare
1: not ask in that situation, what's wrong with the fish? You know what I mean? Right. But but people make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's something cultural, right? Uh, or uh, maybe there are uh, crazy ideas about what's causing this that they may that people may believe that may influence their health seeking behavior. But if you look at uh, experiences of African American. Uh, people in our country, we see some really interesting and horrib- horrifying outcomes. Um, I've done a lot of work on the area of infant mortality prevention, issues related to pregnancy outcome, and one of the shocking things that I came to understand was that um, while we know for every population group. As they go up the socioeconomic scale, their outcomes are better. Being poor is harmful. It has huge effects. Um, But it's interesting if you compare uh, using education level as a proxy for social class or socioeconomic status is a key thing in socioeconomic status. But um, African-American women with a high school I'm sorry, African-American women with college or higher degrees have worse outcomes than a Latina woman with a high school degree. And you ask, what's what's happening there? And, uh, you know, definitely African-Americans across all levels of the socioeconomic scale fare far worse yeah. than their white counterparts. Um, and so you have to ask the question why and uh, people initially thought well maybe black women just have smaller babies but if you look at African immigrants having children their babies are just as healthy as white children's uh, white babies and so it's clearly not that Uh, and so There's something about daily exposure to chronically stressful conditions that trigger hormonal responses within individuals that produce wear and tear on the body, something we call allostatic load. That, um, you know, when we are in stressful situations, our uh, body produces a fight or flight response and it's adaptive in those situations. But if you have to have heightened, um, yeah, cortisone levels in your blood day after day, uh, there is no returning back to a normal level. And it produces tremendous wear and tear on a body, and so we see uh, effects related to people's experience of being black in America. Yeah.
0: I read an article that uh, was published earlier this month. I heard about it on a podcast. I don't typically read articles related to public health, but <laughs> <laughs> I heard about it on a podcast. And it was uh, it was a guy who um, mapped uh, life expectancy in the U.S. by region, um, and found that there were certain yeah if you depending on how you carved up the country by like region and and these regions were influenced by um, who initially settled in these places in our country and their attitudes toward um, government and intervention and basically their attitude towards public health you know, mm-hmm. when you get down to it. Um, and these regions primarily, uh, the regions primarily in the South and Appalachia that their life expectancy was almost like was seven, eight, nine years less than people in other regions in the country And the only and, you know, cut across the vector of uh, how much are they embracing, you know, public health and how much are they emphasizing that? So in this article, at least just talking about bare life expectancy, it was like the poorest people in a city in the northeast still had a longer life expectancy than like than some of the richer folks Uh. in these like regions that are resistant to public health and have less access, I guess less access and less, you know, stuff provided. I don't know. You might want to. I don't. I, I don't know if you're familiar with any research along those lines or not. But I, it drove home to me like, wow, you know, there are obviously are a lot of environmental fa- factors that can affect our health but that one was like specifically right. <laughs> how much we value public health was determining life expectancy up to a decade for some people.
1: Right. Now, I, I'm not familiar with that particular study, but we do know coming off of uh, COVID that there's differential effects in terms of um, severe illness, hospitalization, being in an ICU and ultimately, mortality, and that uh, areas of the country that are um, deeply red have higher mortality rates than those that are blue. Mm -hmm. And in part, it's a rejection of public health, uh, public health symbolizing government. And, a rejection of government interference in what people consider to be individual decisions that it's not about why should I do this it's only me that's going to be hurt which is a, a fallacy anyway because yeah. it's really everybody that's hurt
0: right right um and this study it it, it cut much deeper than like red blue although there was a seem to be a correlation there but this study was looking at you know regions of the south that were settled by uh slave traders from barbados and and wherever else you know what i mean are not having a a concern for the general welfare (laughs) of of the other right versus you know uh the northeast which is settled by puritans Mm. and quakers and folks who um in different ways Uh, came here with a more broad corporate vision of, like, flourishing. You know, we can critique this, but they came with the idea that, you know, this is going to be the shining city on the hill, and and there was a greater, you know, uh, openness to and promotion of the public welfare and public health and well-being Um, and seeing the legacy of those things that, yes, as we get down to modern times, can kind of map red-blue in certain ways, but certainly... goes deeper than our current political kind of, you know, um, situation.
1: Yeah. Uh, Last week I spoke at a symposium in Baltimore, and I was asked to speak on issues related to gentrification. And the idea was that gentrification is in part a forced migration. And how has... Forced migration affected the health of populations. So I started with uh, the initial conquest of this nation and peoples being forced off of their lands and experiencing uh, h- historic trauma that hasn't let up. Mm. And it's so clear in terms of their health that uh, this is a, there's a lasting legacy of this. Yeah. And then even in Baltimore, you know. Uh, we First of all, we had this forced migration from Africa, it brought to the U.S., sold and placed in different pla- places around the country, uh, not just in the U.S., though, not just in Americas, but um, in parts of Europe, but a forced migration of African peoples. Uh, here in the U.S., we had many of them sold to be working in the South, And then during the great migration from the uh, early 20th century through um, into 1970s, I'd say, there was a historic movement of people, uh, people of African descent to uh, cities of the north and the west. Uh, But they couldn't just freely go anywhere in those cities. They were funneled into certain places where they would be allowed to exist. Uh, And sometimes later, those places would become areas where they're no longer allowed to be and were uh, pushed away. Um, But there were also places where maybe there was a little more integration, but then there was white flight. Uh, all these population movements that affected the health and quality of living for people. And, uh, and people were forced. Now, neighborhoods I worked in in Baltimore, there's no gentrification that's going to happen anytime soon. They've been um, neglected. The disinvestment uh, has made it just a decaying place. Uh, So, Freddie Gray lived in the neighborhood where I worked. Um, For those of you who may not recall, it was, uh, I think, in 2015, he was apprehended by by police in West uh, Baltimore, thrown into a paddy wagon, um, and they gave him a joyride on the way to uh, the jail and fractured his spine, which led to his death. Um, Freddie Gray had been exposed to terrible housing conditions that made him have lead poisoning, issues of blood lead levels that were causing damage to him neurologically in terms of his uh, learning potential, behavioral issues. So we live in a society where we allow people to live in conditions that are going to hurt them, and it's going to hurt all of us in the process. So what do we do? Oh, we can't make, um, we can't have government come in and dictate that every owner of these homes has to clear out the lead, but we don't have any kind of... uh, political will or mechanism to, to make it sure that people are not going to live in homes that are going to kill them. Um, this is a basic public health issue where people live, work, sleep, and play should not be places that cause them to die. And uh, everybody should have access to minimal levels to meet their basic needs. That's the basic notion of public health as social justice. And it seems to me to fit so well with principles of the kingdom of God that if you look at what things that got God angry throughout the Old Testament is when people were oppressing others. Today, um, Hank referred to a year of, of, uh, of well, actually, it's talking about... Um, The sabbatical uh, year? Yes, yeah, 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 the Sabbath year. Um, and then every seven Sabbath years, there was to be a year of Jubilee, which was uh, to really help ensure that there is not multi-generational poverty that exists. and uh, And yet, because our faith is so much influenced by notions of capitalism that we have a hard time seeing what the what God was saying.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you like to make the biblical case for me for like why should we value public health because we've been through a season and maybe through decades now where many Christians in our country have have re- rejected these notions as socialistic or what have you, right? Um, And you've already begun to make that case. Mm -hmm. So like, well, maybe if we read the, you know, the the Torah or or the prophetic literature or, you know, so much of scripture, Uh, but I mean, please continue. Like, why should Christians, let's not assume this, why should we care deeply
1: about public health
0: as Christians?
1: Okay. Well, the first thing I would say, even... This is not even talking from necessarily a, a biblical justification, but um, none of us are able to ensure the conditions are going to be healthy where we are. We like to think that we are responsible for our own health. Well, um When you go to the grocery store, are you there looking at, okay, which of these slices of meat is going to kill me and which one won't? Uh, How do we judge whether this thing is contaminated? Wait, are there killer meats out there? I didn't know about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's quite possible. But hopefully they don't make it on our shelves. How do we control the air around us? People like to think, well, the the Constitution doesn't specifically say anything about public health. And whenever the, something is not clearly stated in the Constitution, it falls to the states. Uh, but in the Constitution, we have a protect the, the general welfare, mm-hmm. and we've got an ability to tax and spend, and we've got interstate commerce. Okay, well, what does interstate commerce have to do with uh, regulating? Businesses. Mm -hmm. Okay, emissions. Okay, are you living in a state where, suppose it was left up to the states. Okay, you can control what happens in your state, but you can't control the air that comes into your state. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you have to think much more broadly at the individual level. There's only so much we can know and do to protect ourselves. There's so much that uh, affects us. We go to work, we we like to think that it's only government that restricts our freedoms, but the marketplace does too. Marketplace determines what we're going to be paid, whether we're going to be able to afford the products that are out there. We may have to uh, abide by certain restrictions on the work site. And it's ultimately, if there is tremendous corporate greed, we will get pennies on the dollar for compared to the the highest people um, in that organization. Um, so, government clearly isn't the only thing that's restricting our freedoms. Right. Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm no constitutional scholar either, uh-huh. so I'll set aside the specific text of that. Uh-huh. But it yeah, just thinking of it from that vantage point, it just calls into question. You know why? Why do you? Why do you order a society in the first place if not to, you know, provide for the flourishing of of people in that society? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a, and at some point we've we've lost uh, sight of what game we're even trying to play here in terms of you know what are we what are we even here for? What does this country exist for if if our life expectancies are plummeting and our rates of, of happiness. And wellness, which we can measure that stuff, you know, from, you know, and compare it globally, those things are plummeting, et cetera. It's kind of like, well, what exactly are we, <laughs> which a lot of those indicators have become more stark in recent decades from where they used to be. You know, we used to find the U.S. higher on those lists than we do now. But It's like,
1: wait a minute, we're not, (laughs) we don't
0: live the longest anymore. We don't make the most, like, we're not as happy anymore. No,
1: but we still pay twice as much for health care per capita as any other country in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so where is the, you know,
0: where is the abundance and the flourishing and the, you know, so from that perspective, yeah, it, it seems like a unique, brand of insanity to continue doing what we're doing from a biblical perspective though um and and a theological perspective um you know i don't know where your mind goes mine goes to you know uh, jeremiah 29 mandate to just seek the welfare of the city that in which god has has planted you right and um the original uh mandate to care for the creation from genesis one absolutely um uh, you know, I think of some of those things and just the general mandate to the church to you know live as light in this world and to um, but as you mentioned before, all throughout the old testament, the concern for um, the subsistence of widows and orphans and foreigners, right? And and there are, I mean, there are literally public health laws in the old testament as well, right? Mm-hmm. There, there literally are those, right? So, if we you know, if we want to talk about public health, there's there are literal like laws like purity laws and other things directly related to the public health of the Israelites Yeah, and
1: and related to caring for the widow and the orphan look into uh, the book of Acts okay so you know people coming together to support one another and creating a fellowship that extended beyond just people of Jewish descent Uh, and they created systems that matched pretty well what people of Jewish descent was, were used to. Mm-hmm. And what did they discover? Oh, it was the, the Hellenistic widows were being forgotten in the distribution of food. and this was an issue that needed to be addressed because it represents inequity mm-hmm. within the church that should not happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they put together a group, primarily uh, Hellenistic uh, members of the church, to remedy that and figure out okay, what's a new way to do this so that we don't have systems that produ- pr- provide advantage to some and disadvantage to others. Right,
0: notably by upping the
1: representation of the disadvantage
0: and putting them in power. Right. Um, Notably, which is a really fascinating case study, and I think we can make a very solid case scripturally why within the church <laughs> public health and equity ought to uh,
1: ought to reign. Right. right. Um, I, I realize guess. I, 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 go g- ahead. I realized coming to an Anabaptist uh, orientation that. Um, there's often, often a notion of separatism, especially when it comes to government. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I was gonna say that we have a um,
0: fraught relationship with the idea of government power as the vehicle for bringing these things to bear. You know, I think that theologically we would be like, yes, we we want to see public health, we want to see equity and justice in in a whole host of ways. Uh, when you start to talk about how that happens and involvement in, in government processes and stuff like that, there, in the Anabaptist tradition, there can be some squeamishness. And I know in evangelicalism, there certainly has historically been a lot of resistance to, I think that's probably a little bit more where the, the rub comes for people is kind of like, okay, well, we would like to see more people have opportunity and flourishing, but we don't trust the government to, to be the... The thing doing it.
1: Right. And, you know, the question of what is government and who is government? Right. And are we government? Well, uh, um, <laughs> And to the, what yes is and pre- no, right? What's yeah. preventing us from being more actively part of the decision making process? And uh, so, you know, we've got to keep in mind that uh, um, our society was built on uh, uh, minimal government. To allow capitalism to really succeed, and yet there are inequities produced by capitalism that need to be addressed, and who does that? Um, clearly, government is one way. There's also a notion of kind of a, a civil society, people, organizations coming together and saying, the interests of government and the interests of business still aren't doing well to meet the needs of the population. How can we hold both of them accountable? And uh, because we managed, in you know, order to protect the status quo, make sure there's enough division that that does not happen. Mm. <laughs> uh, what, public health is a mixture of public and private Interests working together to help ensure the conditions in which people can be healthy. Mm. And uh, right now we see the governmental side, and uh, it has, uh, you know, support has fallen along the fractures that exist within our society. Um, When things are working well, you don't hear a lot of complaints about public health. When something goes wrong, yeah, then then you hear a lot of complaints. And this instance was different. It was something wrong in society that made public health kind of an enemy for, for half of the population.
0: Yeah, and that would be the heartbreaking thing for me is that for the majority of Christians in our country, what they thought about public health broke along the lines of what they thought about the government or whatever right. political affiliation they had versus being informed by, uh, you science. Know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say scripture, but yes, also yeah. that, um, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I was just going to, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. When that, scripture I, I or science, mean, one idea, yeah. yeah. Science, when it comes to, uh, our thoughts on the specific, Um, things being asked of us as a society in those moments. But from a scriptural perspective, just just our general attitude towards the idea that I should make personal sacrifices um, for the sake of others' health and for the sake of our, our health more broadly. Just this idea that I am not a ship Sailing alone through the sea, I am in this fleet of hundreds and thousands right. of other ships, and in my going to the left or the right is going to affect uh, the people around me, and that, and and so I'm going to submit uh, my own will in that situation, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Um, well, you know, believing the science or just not believing the science. I, I I'm I'm more just interested in. Well, are we even coming into that those deliberations with a baseline openness to? A concern for the welfare of other right. people, right? Um, it, when our, our thoughts about the government, when our thoughts about compliance to that, etc., when that's the you know that's when that's the horse leading our cart. Uh, I don't think I'm using that metaphor mm-hmm. right. Then then we have a problem, you right. know. And, and as an Anabaptist who has a troubled relationship to well, how do we relate to government power? We should all agree that a concern for the public health. Um, is an unnegotiable important thing scripturally, mm-hmm. um, and then we can fight a little bit about how exactly we get there. Maybe right. um, I'm just going to listen to whatever Bob says, yeah, and that'll be that.
1: But we could have a whole another conversation about Christianity in America and how it's a syncretized religion, right? And uh, you know the the way that our ideology about individualism has permeated so much of the way we think that uh, it's hard to separate biblical truth from what we believe based on that ideology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that was what, you know, um, COVID was an an apocalyptic moment, right? Uh, In the literal sense, it revealed uh, in some ways, you know, what was motivating and undergirding our decisions. And, and, for people on every side of every possible aisle, it was kind of like it was a stress test for our society and 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 for you know the cultures that make it up to to show what what's actually been building these things and and our specific ideologies over the past decades. You know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I've thought. I'm no ex. I'm I know nothing about the biblical languages. I couldn't look into them and study them. But I wonder, uh, all those commands that we hear through the Old Testament, how many of them are geared towards instructions to individuals versus instruction to groups of people? And we are so individualistic. We've made the gospel entirely individual. Mm -hmm. We don't see it as something that impacts whole populations.
0: Whatever, and whatever's below an amateur, that's what I am in regards to the original biblical languages, uh, but I can, I know enough to know it's, and you suspect this and probably know it, um, it's, uh, f- far and away, the prize goes to the, uh, second person plural when it comes to the commands being given. It's, it's, the Bible is, is y'all up and down the board. Right. Um, especially, I mean, the New Testament just assume that when it says, you.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's
0: Paul writing, if it's Jesus speaking, y'all. it's yeah. y'all, and we don't have the issue. It's we have a real issue, is which is in English, we don't have a uh, culturally accepted second person plural. I think we should just use y'all or yins or whatever mm-hmm. your flavor is. But plenty of other languages have that. Greek yeah. had that, so it was y'all. It was almost all the commands are given to communities language right?
1: is a carrier of culture right and so right our, yeah, just you we can't read the the bible in english without being influenced by the culture which created that language right
0: and we've paid the price for that yeah. and um, and yeah yeah our we we don't have time to get into just how notions of of freedom and liberty if you know caused us to, Mm. uh, do a hatchet job on Galatians and some of these other, uh, passages. Um, during the COVID times, you know, in the community that I was living in, there were these yard signs that someone had made, uh, some local politician that said like, walk as free people. Um, you know, and with a, with a American flag. And I think this, the insinuation there was like, don't submit to like COVID regulations. And, uh, and I was like, man, you should really like keep reading that verse, because it's like, walk as free people, but then goes on to talk about not, like, <laughs> right. not abusing your liberty right. uh, at the expense of, like, it literally, the, in the same sentence, the same breath, right. scripture was like, um, y- y- you know, your liberty is not license. Um, right. mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, what, what's been in the water for us as a, as a people here for a long time lead us to deify um these notions of individual autonomy um you know just all the westerns and all the just the cowboy mentality that we've had for you know so long in this country it's just it's like rugged Mm. me versus everything and everyone um notion yeah notions of (laughs) notions of public health notions of public welfare public anything become kind of implausible to so many of us. Um, And I hope we're being discipled out of some of that thinking.
1: Right. I do see some hope in young people thinking uh, about the issues that they see on a daily basis. They're often concerned that the church has not done a good job of addressing them. And uh, hopefully we can keep them as a vital part of the church so that we can be transformed even as they come to maturity and, and help us to see these things.
0: I hope so too. I mean, I'm heartened by the amount of young people that are in our congregation at least and are are passionate about these things. And, um, we've been through a tough period, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's been a wake up call and I hope a good way for, for a lot of folks. And, um, man so appreciative of the work you're doing and I wish I could talk with you more and learn more about you know the dynamics involved here and we probably will at some point but um, I think even what you've shared will just hopefully uh, get the gears turning for us and some of the different factors and things involved and and what we're seeing um, what influences health Mm -hmm. in these different communities and subsets of people and um. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I'm so glad to be at a place where um, these things are being talked about, and I'm not the only one. It's really, really nice that uh, that we're here. We live so close by, and uh, uh, it's already been just a huge blessing for us to be a part of this congregation. Yeah.
0: Glad to have you, Bob. Thanks. Thank you.